Odd Trails contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. Odd 24 Hours by Anonymous. I have never seen any kind of entity before, thankfully. But I have seen and heard strange things happen that don't always have a proper explanation. I'm a believer, so I enjoy the stories and also keep my distance from anything I'm uncomfortable with. I know things can follow others if they aren't careful. A few years ago, We had some odd events happen for about 24 hours straight in our home. We had some people come over to our house for Christmas with friends. We were eating dinner and hanging out together. My husband, Charlie, opened the fridge to get something. There was also a glass cup right next to the fridge and somehow it exploded when he shut the fridge door. The cup was not leaning on anything. It was standing alone. There were people that saw nothing falling on the cup We couldn't figure out why it broke the way that it did, with pieces flying off of the counter and onto the floor. My father was one of the guests that we had over and joked that we have a ghost. Later that night, when the others went home, our five-year-old Jay woke me up at four in the morning while holding his iPad in my face. Jay was very nonverbal at the time, but he didn't express being scared. He was just awake and ready to play. I got up to walk him back to his bed, and when we opened the door, his mattress was flipped upside down. Jay's blankets were all still on the mattress. I was confused because he had never done this before, especially in the middle of the night. I would think that if a five-year-old flipped his own bed, it would look messier with things thrown around, not neatly flipped. When I was walking Jay back to his bedroom, I saw Charlie sleeping on the couch. We had fallen asleep together in bed, earlier, just like normal. I asked him why he moved and he said that he doesn't remember. Charlie isn't a sleepwalker, and I didn't wake up when he left the bed, so it was unusual. I got him to help me put Jay's bed back together, and our son went right back to sleep with no fuss. We were so tired that this event didn't even bother me until the next day when I thought about it. The next morning, A plate was on the counter by our stove, and Charlie dropped the salt shaker on it. The plate shattered into pieces when this happened, with a plastic salt shaker that wasn't heavy at all. By this time, we had two items break and being moved in strange ways. I don't know what this means, but it seemed like it only happened when Charlie was around. Odd things don't normally happen at our house, and we've lived here for five years. Nothing negative was happening at the time, The friends that we had over have been here before with no issues. We're not sure what to make of it 
or if it was anything at all because it stopped within a day. I've had one sleep paralysis episode happen. Maybe I'll submit that story separately sometime. If there was something here causing mischief that day, I hope that we don't meet again. Grace the Dream Demon by Lindsay It is the night before Halloween, the devil's night or mischief night as some might call it. The weather is cold and rainy, and my mood is definitely reflecting that. My phone is on silent, and I don't hear from anybody that night except for one random text from an unknown number that reads, Hi, are you off duty yet? I quickly shoot back, who is this, and put my phone on the charger. I roll over, not thinking much of it, as we all get spam texts occasionally. I quickly fall into a deep, deep sleep, and my head hurts really bad. I toss and turn most of the night, sweating through a dream I cannot wake from. In my dream, I'm sitting in my parents' living room. My good friend and her father, who was a pastor, bust through the front door. It's just me there. They begin frantically arguing in front of me about my friend's little sister. Tim, my friend's dad, is red in the face and screaming about how they have to intervene now before she gets too strong. I am deeply confused. My friend, Kathy, is sobbing weeping. She is yelling about how much it could hurt her little sister. I quickly cut in to ask what's going on. They seem shocked to see me there. How can I help, I ask. Tell me what's going on. They make eye contact with each other and leave to get her sister. They return carrying her unconscious body. Her long blonde hair is covering her face and her thin, long body seems weightless. I begin wiping her fevered brow and asking a million questions a minute. They won't come close after they lay her on the couch. I go to wipe her brow again, and her frail hand strongly grabs my wrist. I flinch and look at her. Her eyes fly open, and the once ocean blue color is now solid black. Her face contorts into a sinister grin as she attempts to pull me closer. I fall backwards onto the floor, looking around, begging for answers. She says, It's me, Grace. Don't you know me? While smiling with too many teeth. The dream continues in this manner for the whole night. I help however I can but the dream keeps resetting itself when I get too comfortable. There is a stream of words, sometimes in different accents or languages, saying, Grace, Grace, Grace. Despite being non-religious, I begin to pray in my dream. Then I wake up. 
I roll over and look at my phone and think to myself, should I text my friend Kathy and check on Grace? No, that would be too weird. I instead roll over to my husband and wake him up for comfort. A couple hours later, after my brain has calmed down, on Halloween morning now, I finally roll to grab my phone for the day. I have one message alone, sent near midnight, from the same unknown number. It reads, Hello, I'm Grace. Don't you have my number? Childhood Terror by Jennifer When I was four, I moved into an apartment building originally built for coal miners' families. Now it's available for anyone to rent. We lived in the same apartment for nine years. Between four and five, I remember seeing these shadow masses. They didn't have a distinct shape, just somewhat rounded. They were smoky or transparent. They never did anything but just float off to the side of me, as if observing. I was confused about what they were and what they wanted, so I ignored them, trying not to look directly at them, scared that they might move or something. They weren't really scary, though. The truly scary experience happened when I was six or seven. I became terrified of something in the dark downstairs. I had a system of shutting off the lights, I started by turning off the hallway light, then going back to the kitchen, then running as fast as I could to the hallway. I never saw what it was. I was too terrified to stop and look. I just ran. I would feel it on my neck and back, that sensation of someone being close before you even see them. I just knew that it was evil, and it wanted to hurt me. I would run until I hit the top of the stairs. It would leave me halfway up the hallway, but I kept running. This went on for about a year. I was also terrified of the devil under my bed. Well, that's what I called it. I would pull all my covers up, not letting a single piece hang off of the edge. I slept in the middle of my bed, in the fetal position. I did this for years after that. I was convinced that if I were close enough to the edge, it would try to pull me under. I don't know if I imagined it, but it was genuinely terrifying to me. Adding to this, my youngest child talked about the bad man from the time that he could talk. Even in kindergarten, he was still mentioning the bad man and even drew us a picture of the bad man in the corner. It was all black. We asked him many times who the bad man was. He always said, I don't know, he's just bad. I was in an abusive relationship with his father until he was one. Was he drawing his dad? Or did our fighting and stuff draw in a bad entity to my vulnerable child? I don't think I'll ever know the truth. A witch once told me that I could have drawn in an entity during pregnancy due to the abuse and drug use before my pregnancy and his dad's continued drug abuse and that the entity might have taken hold of my child due to their innocence. 
The Death Knocks by Brown Girl 1991 This story recounts one of the most bone-chilling experiences I have ever had. It is the first time I have spoken about the incident since it occurred. As I write, I am reliving the experience, which I will probably carry with me until my last breath. Please bear with me, this may be long. After college, I was offered a chance to stay in my friend's room while job hunting in the southern part of India. My friend offered me her room rent-free until I found a job. After several exhausting weeks of job hunting, I finally found a position as a sales representative. Work started at 6 p.m. and ended at 4 a.m., Monday through Friday. I accepted the offer out of desperation to find a job and start paying off debts. Since I was in money-saving mode, I began walking to the office, approximately four miles away. This neighborhood was the friendliest place I'd ever seen. It was bustling with young, college-aged people from various parts of the country. The streets were crowded and lively, with shops open until 3 a.m., it was simply the best fun anyone could ask for, and my friend and I felt safe, never imagining anything bad could happen. That is until one day, on August 12, 2015. Yes, I will remember this day for the rest of my life. I was returning home early from work at 1 a.m. because I was having stomach cramps. It was raining and my boss had requested my colleague to drop me off home safely, as it wasn't safe to take cabs late at night. At the gate, my colleague who assisted me asked if he should accompany me to the door, and I agreed, not because I was sick, but because of the creepy stairs I had to ascend to reach the third floor, where my room was located. I lived with my friend in a rooftop house, with one large bedroom, and an attached bathroom. To get there, I had to walk up an outer, narrow staircase with thin but not very safe bars. In the dark, those staircases looked creepy. You had two huge trees blocking the streetlights from illuminating the staircase. I used my phone's flashlight, but that wasn't enough. The feeling of walking alone with houses so close to each other gave me chills. Anyway, my colleague dropped me off, and he made sure I closed the door behind me. I saw him leave. He also called me from the office, and my boss spoke to me to ensure I was okay. It was a tiring and painful night. I saw my friend sleeping on the bed because she needed to wake up at four in the morning for her work. I freshened up and thought I would prepare some black tea, which usually eases my tummy pain. Well, I was waiting to pour the tea into my cup, when all of a sudden, I heard a banging sound on the front door. It had been at least 20 to 30 minutes since I got home. I wondered who it could be at this hour. It certainly wasn't my colleague or friends, but what gave me the chills, along with the continuous banging, was that I also heard children giggling. It was around 1.30 in the morning. I was scared. When I say scared, my gut knew this was not natural. 
I somehow managed to tiptoe to my friend in seconds, but she was a heavy sleeper and not so happy when I woke her from sleep. I shook her and whispered, Shh, do you hear that? Not the bangs, but the laughter. She nodded yes, and I gestured for her not to speak. We both sat on the bed, too scared to move our eyes off the door. We were frozen. Let me tell you why. The banging wasn't like how a person would typically knock on a door. They were rapid and continuous, like someone was intentionally trying to scare us. The sound of the kids giggling turned into a deep voice laughing, as if it wanted us to hear. My friend and I had tears and couldn't understand what was happening, but we were sure that this was not normal. Luckily, she mustered the courage to walk up to the door and peek through the peephole. She turned back to me and silently indicated that she didn't see anybody. Then, the banging continued. The next day, she explained how she felt vibrations at the door. She also said she could still hear the kids giggle and felt the hairs on the back of her neck stand up because she felt a negative energy, as if someone was watching her and knew she was right next to the door. Going back to that moment, when the banging continued, I whispered to her, Let's call for help. She agreed. I texted everyone possible, including neighbors, friends who stayed in the next building, and my colleagues, asking for help. She did the same. We were too scared to talk on the phone because we thought that if we made a noise, whatever was outside would come inside. We were also scared to call the police because what if there was nothing or nobody believed us? My friend and I were blank and shaking. All I could think while looking at my phone was to manage to write help and send it to whoever I thought of. The banging eventually stopped. My friend whispered, I think this is a prank. I think some friends from another building saw you coming home and wanted to prank you. For a moment, I thought the same too. Maybe we were just scared because it was so late. She also suggested that we go outside and try to see who it was. We both knew it was a stupid thing to do, but hey, who thinks clearly at times like this? I agreed that we would open the door and check and also run out to the streets. Before we even stood up, we heard bangs on the bathroom window. This confirmed to us right at that moment that this was not human. My friend and I looked at each other, shocked, because there was no place below the bathroom window to stand. Remember, we were on the third floor. This was when it turned into an even worse nightmare. I burst into tears, unable to control my fear, and thought about how anyone could possibly be pounding on the bathroom window. This confirmed my fear of something we couldn't see. My friend was crying too, trying to hold my mouth so it wouldn't hear us, but we were both petrified of whatever was out there. 
Amidst all of this, my stomach pain worsened due to high stress. I wasn't ready to be weak at that time. The banging continued for several minutes, though I have no recollection of how long it lasted. My friend says it went on for a good 10 to 15 minutes. All I remember is feeling low because of the pain and being scared for our lives. Suddenly, sometime later, my friend's phone rang out so loudly that she jumped out from bed, grabbed her phone next to the pillow and answered it. I was scared because she was so loud, appearing indifferent to the noise she was making. I could see the anger in her eyes, wishing for this to end. She said, Hello? Help us. There's something at our door and bathroom window, banging and scaring the hell out of us. Come here with the police or get people. The person on the phone told her to hold on and not to hang up until they got there so my friend stayed on the call. A little while later, we heard vehicles parking with long honks and people talking and rushing to our place. The banging was still going on at the bathroom window. We heard people near our door and the person on the call told us to open the door. My friend rushed and opened it. It was her boyfriend and his brothers. My first relief. While still crying, I screamed, Can you hear it? Please tell me you hear it. Her boyfriend looked shocked. Then he confirmed, Yeah, we hear it. Do you hear the giggles too? My friend and I both said yes. One of her boyfriend's brothers went outside to check if he could see anyone. At that moment, the banging stopped. It was calm with zero noise, as if it had never happened. We were all shocked. The boy said, grab your stuff and let's get out. That night, we stayed at my friend's boyfriend's place. I was tired from crying, in pain, and traumatized by what happened. I wanted to rest and sleep, but my eyes stayed open, fearing it might return. My friend took leave for the whole day. She wasn't ready to go to work. We told our roommate to come to the boy's place and not to go to that house. We also filled her in on what happened, but it was hard for her to believe. The next day, we vacated the place. We also received responses from others, asking what happened and had missed calls, but we decided not to tell anyone. To this day, I get anxious when I hear knocks at the door. I don't know why this happened, whether it has ended, or if it has followed us. We don't know. But I do know one thing. I am still not ready to face this, and to this day, I never go out when it's dark, and ensure I am not home alone most of the time. Whoever it was, whatever it was, whether a sick prank or something else, I swear I don't want to meet this thing again. It's been eight years. Last month, one of the tenants messaged a group my friend is in, saying he kept hearing strange noises inside his house. Water taps kept flowing, 
and his doors would either open or close, happening without any pattern for two years. Things escalated when his wife was alone, and the walls would start banging whenever she took a bath. They have since moved to a better place, and two of the four houses are vacant today. I'm not sure what happened to the other two tenants, but I hope they are safe. Ghostly Animal Encounters by Heidi As a child and into my teens, I had occasional dreams that foretold something that would happen very soon. These weren't dramatic, prophetic dreams. The first one I remember having was a dream about a Cabbage Patch doll that I was hoping to receive for Christmas. This was during the height of their popularity, and they were very hard to find. I dreamed about receiving this doll with brown hair which I very much did not want because I had blonde hair and I wanted it to look like me. On Christmas, I received the exact doll from my dream, but I learned to love her. In my teens, I dreamt about my missing Agama dragon, Priscilla, whom I located in the exact place from my dream as soon as I woke up. The dream relevant to this story occurred during my first year of college and was about my family dog, Lobo. My parents' house had a side garden that wasn't accessible to the dog because of a fence and gate. But in my dream, Lobo and I were standing there together quite peacefully in that side garden. One week later, I was headed back home for the weekend to watch the house. I was also going to have some friends over to party because my parents were away. They called me just before the weekend to warn me that Lobo, who was elderly, had not been doing so well and I may have to be the one to make the unfortunate call to the veteran to put an end to her discomfort. That decision was made by me and my older brother that Saturday. After saying goodbye to our sweet girl, my brother returned to his apartment, and a few of my friends came over for the night. The next morning, a friend came in from the garage and told me that my cat, Mr. Smith, was yowling and upset in the garage. Mr. Smith came to us as a tiny tuxedo kitten and developed a close relationship with Lobo. He was about eight years old when she passed. I could hear his yows as I approached the garage door from inside the house, but they stopped when he saw me enter the garage. He immediately walked over towards the exterior exit from the garage, looked back at me, and gave a short meow. It felt like he was saying, follow me. I approached the door and he then said, meow. I took this as, open the door. His instructions were followed. As we stepped through the door, a rush of warm feelings came over me. It was at that moment that I remembered the dream from the week prior. The door that we were going through opened into that side garden. Mr. Smith gave one more follow me as he walked into the center of the garden. You know how cats rub against loved ones' legs? in that figure eight pattern? Well, he began rubbing against the legs of something I couldn't see, but his pattern suggested that it was a quadruped. His loud purrs also suggested that he was very happy to see this invisible quadruped. 
I knew who was there with us. Lobo was saying goodbye. It was my dream. It felt wonderful, and I knew that she was happy to be free of discomfort. After a few minutes, the cat walked back into another part of the yard and the garden felt emptier. Mr. Smith seemed to be looking for his dear friend at times for the rest of the day as he was meowing quite a lot in the backyard. The next story took place in 2008 in the house and the neighborhood that we still live in. At the time, I still had Big Papa, a gorgeous and loyal wolf mix. As a very large dog, he was already considered elderly and could no longer join me for a run. So I was in the habit of taking him for nice walks and then going on my run after. Part of the walk would be repeated on my running route. That part of the course was still in my neighborhood and passed by the creepy house. The creepy house stuck out like a sore thumb in the neighborhood, primarily because it had been condemned by the city, but also because it was a completely different architectural style than the rest of the houses. The house made me feel uncomfortable. I would tell myself I was being prejudiced, and a condemned and awkward house does not equal haunted. However, I would also try to be on the opposite side of the street to pass it, especially if I did not have my hero guardian Papa with me. This event took place on an unusually warm and thunderstormy July evening in my coastal northern California city. Papa and I took our walk, and then I set out on my run. I was dazzled by the balmy weather, and I didn't give one thought to the creepy house until I realized it was right in front of me. It somewhat startled me. I immediately began scolding myself internally for just being silly. I didn't have any reason to be scared of the house. At that moment, I felt fingers drag down my neck and upper back. My brain was still working overtime to tell myself that I was imagining things, and I kept moving with growing unsettlement. Two blocks after the creepy house, I ran through an easement that connects my neighborhood with the old General Hospital campus. Directly to the right of the easement's exit into the hospital campus stood a long row of eucalyptus trees that hosted a bunch of ravens. I had been running past the ravens daily for almost a year and a half at this point, and they never paid me any attention until that day. As soon as I was visible to them, a group of them left the trees and started flying straight and fast towards me. I froze, thinking, what is going to happen to me? As they drew near to me. In the next second, they all started dive-bombing, and I braced myself for their sharp talons, but I didn't feel anything except the wind from their wing beats as they cawed and thrashed at nothing or something that was directly behind me. At that moment, the practical voice in my head said, Okay, yes, that house has something in it, and that something is following me. At this point, the run was over. I wanted to experiment. Maybe I had disturbed the ravens by simply being where I was. Now to test this, I went back through the easement to get to the main road and enter the hospital campus from another direction. I figured that if I had disturbed the ravens by being in the wrong place, then they wouldn't notice me standing about 150 yards from the trees in another direction. Meanwhile, 
I still felt like I was being followed. When I got to that 150-yard spot, which is relatively far, and the first glimpse of the trees, I just stood there. Instantly, they exited the trees and came straight for me. They did the same thing as before. I was untouched by the ravens, but I panicked inside. I was being followed by something inhuman or formerly human. I began to walk home unsure of what to do. I didn't want this thing to know where I lived. I was about to cross the last street to my block. As I crossed, I felt lighter. When I reached my block, I felt alone. It was gone. I scurried inside for a Big Papa cuddle and a strong drink. Papa passed in June of 2009. In June of 2010, I gave birth to my first child. During my pregnancy, the creepy house was being renovated. While on maternity leave, a realtor knocked on my door. I answered, and they handed me an invitation to an open house of the new creepy house. My curiosity wanted me to accept the invitation, but due to the hours, I would have to bring my baby. There was no way something was going to attach itself to my baby, so I didn't go. But I did take the opportunity to ask about the house's history. It was an old 1800s schoolhouse that had been built in a tiny town about 30 miles away, and somebody moved it into my neighborhood. Yeah, that Death Knocks story from India that you narrated was an interesting one. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest, I was pretty sure that was just a prank. (laughs) But that banging went on for way too long. And I don't think that children are that reckless to do something like that for over 10 minutes and so late at night. Yeah, as a former child, I can say doorbell ditching would have been the preferred modus operandi, modus operandi, whatever it is. Yeah, What is it? I don't know. I think it's operandi, but I've actually, I've only heard it that way. Operandi or operandi. I've never heard operandi. I like that though. <laughs> I've heard operandi. Yeah. I'm, I'm not too sure either. That's going to be my new, uh, my new handle for everything. Modus operandi. It's kind of like Appalachian and Appalachian. I got in a big argument with my supervisor at work today about that. He is so certain that it's Appalachian, but it's a regional thing, but I feel like Appalachian is the proper way. I'll say this. I've done some let's not meet stories about Appalachia, and I got a lot of responses from people from Appalachia correcting me because I said Appalachia. I think I may have even told them that. Like, listen, bud, you're from Philadelphia, not the actual Appalachian Mountains, but I guess they know everything over there. Yeah, of course. So yeah, it was the preferred modus operandi. (laughs) I'm going to do it that way. Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah. I guess they could have ducked underneath the peephole if it was some kids playing a prank, but yeah, no kid wants to hang out at a doorstep longer than necessary when they're trying to prank or scare somebody like that. Well, not only children doorbell ditch. Remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't believe we haven't shared that story yet. M- may I? Yeah, go ahead. I have no shame. <laughs> 
I hope you enjoy this story as much as I like telling it. Andy and I had just gotten some tacos and margaritas at one of our favorite spots in the town we grew up in. Mm -hmm. Driving would have been stupid and irresponsible, so naturally we did the mature thing and decided to cause a little mischief in the middle-class suburbia across the road. Yeah, We didn't steal or damage anything, so don't get too excited. Keep in mind we were in our early 20s, drunk and really bored. There was some innocent doorbell ditching, and I had also knocked on some stranger's door just to ask them how their day was, <laughs> and they were surprisingly really chill about it and didn't even ask me what I wanted or how they knew me, which was cool. But then after that, we walked by a house with the front door wide open, but their screen door was closed. <laughs> I don't remember if I dared him to do it or if no. he just did it on his own. I don't think but, so, yeah. <laughs> Andy walks right up to the door and hollers in this exaggerated backwoods accent, why do you got your door wide open? <laughs> <laughs> so I saw two kids watching The Lion King on the couch and then their mom suddenly pops out from the kitchen and just says, oh, I'm sorry, and politely closes the door. <laughs> yes, that was the best part. Yeah. Then we just took off sprinting and laughing, hyperventilating. We didn't <laughs> so even have stupid. to run, but it just yeah. felt right. Like when somebody blows your mind with a magic trick. Yeah, we just, it was so funny that we ran because we felt so stupid afterwards. Like they probably mm. would have just had a nice conversation with us and be like, oh, sorry, I'll shut it. And be like, yeah, you better. Yeah. <laughs> um, but those were good times. We got to do more stuff like that next time you visit. Yeah, I'm way down. Drink a couple of beers on top of that abandoned hotel or whatever it was. That's when we first really talked about aliens and UFOs yeah. over a decade ago. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, anyway, all of that is to say a bunch of kids couldn't have been knocking on that third story bathroom window either. Yeah. Unless they were sitting on the shoulders of Inspector Gadget or something. Yep. Solid analysis. I've had a story on Let's Not Meet that was very similar to that. So I, I really loved reading this one. But uh, yeah, solid analysis. Right on. Thanks. Now, as for Lindsay's story about this mysterious Grace character, I have a funny little anecdote to share. She sent me the story about two weeks ago, and when I finally replied to her to let her know it'd be on the show, she told me she had just finished telling the story to somebody other than her husband for the first time. Wow. Just minutes after I replied to her. Fun little synchronicity in the universe, I suppose. That's cute. I know. <laughs> It's also neat that she got the mysterious text on the night before Halloween. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that could have been some precognitive tip-off about the upcoming dream. Yeah, or if it was Grace or some other supernatural entity reaching out. It's weird that quote-unquote ghosts are stuck in the past yet seem to adapt to today's technology in a lot of ways. Yeah, that is weird. You were telling me that she sent you a screenshot of the message? Yeah, they didn't text back with the name Grace until after Lindsay had fallen asleep. Oh, and okay. Grace isn't exactly a common name either, so yeah. I really don't think this dream was just a coincidence in that regard. Right. I'm not 100% sure on what it was all supposed to mean, though, especially because dreams can be so subjective. Mm -hmm. She passively mentioned that her friend's dad is a pastor, and even though she didn't outright say that he was trying to exercise this grace demon out of his daughter, there seems to be a connection there. Yeah. Except she was the one to step in and try to help the most. Yeah, yeah, especially with those black eyes and the sinister grin. 
that aligns with a few demonic possessions that I've read about personally. Yeah. 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 The dream kept resetting itself too, so maybe there's some lingering unresolved tension or conflict. Could be. She also mentioned that she isn't religious, but began praying in the dream. Uh I wonder if she could be going through some sort of spiritual road bump, so to speak. Who's to say? Uh, (laughs) Either way, Lindsay, uh, whether you're actually contacted by a demon or your subconsciousness is trying to tell you something, we hope that you're well and on a good path. Amen. Yeah. So we can finally close the book on this old Bill's mystery real quick. I heard from a friend who listens to the show that the treasury just destroys all of the old Bill's when they get him back. Yeah, that that checks out. (laughs) I'm kind of sad that the mystery solved though. Yeah, we'll have to think of a new one for next week. Yep, I'm on the case. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Don't forget to send your stories into stories at oddtrails.com if you want to hear them on the show. And make sure you sign up for our Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash oddtrails if you want to get access to ad-free versions of all of these episodes at a higher bit rate for the best listening experience. And don't forget to check out my other podcast, Let's Not Meet a True Horror Podcast, and the old-time radio cast at crypticcountypodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. See y'all next week. Stay safe. Peace out. disturb you, darling.